good morning. It's great to see everybody here for our, our time of worship. This is a, a special week uh, that we are entering, and it is a uh, time of thinking about this, right? What do we have here? A heart. Uh, and if you are, uh, if this is a surprise to you that Valentine's Day is uh, coming up on Tuesday, then you still have a little bit of time to uh, go out and get a Valentine, well, get a Valentine, get a Valentine card or a gift or some flowers or something of that uh, kind uh, because it is that, that time when we celebrate love. And have you ever thought about what this means, though, this heart? I mean, what would Valentine's Day be without that? Not much, right? I mean, it's on everything. And as soon as the uh, Walgreens and CVS and all the other stores put up the Christmas trees, that's what we get the day after Christmas, right? And it's all about the heart. Uh, and it's kind of an interesting thing. We don't have time to go into the history of it, but it is interesting that we don't have a real heart up there, do we? That'd be kind of creepy, wouldn't it? <laughs> Try that out this week. Give a picture of a real heart to uh, your lover and see what happens as a result. But this reminds us about the feelings that we have for other people, doesn't it? That we give someone a valentine, we give them a heart, and we are expressing to them our love. And that it's not just uh, maybe a brotherly or sisterly kind of love, it is a romantic kind of love that we are expressing. And as we think about hearts, we think about what comes from the heart, right? We think about words that might follow one of these. We might say, I love you, uh, and hope to hear in return that that person would say to us that they love us too. If not, and I can testify from experience, it's a bit awkward uh, <laughs> to just kind of let that hang out there and not hear it back. Luckily, uh, Jenny said, I love you back, I think, Aww. the first time. Yeah. Uh, she wasn't sure at that moment, I don't think, but now she is uh, after 20-something years. But um, we think about the words that come, but also the actions. It's not just uh, leaving it right there and saying, I love you. It's showing that you love the person. So we have the idea of romantic love. We have the expression of this commitment that I love you, and then we show that love to other people. But it all comes back to the heart. And the heart is the seed of the emotions, right? It is uh, that part of us, and I think we understand it's not the anatomical part of us that is expressing love. It is our emotions. At the very core of our being, this is how we feel. And it leads us to action. Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about the heart. And he is describing what the heart is to do and how the heart is to respond. And it's almost like he's giving a heart exam to all the people who are out there. And not only to them, but to the people that they are familiar with in their own culture, in their own religion, in their own society. And we find just constantly throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and we've already looked at a couple of different parts of this in the last couple of weeks, uh, but as we continue on, we will see even more about the heart. This is where Jesus gets really practical. 
about how it is that they can live for God with all of their hearts. And if you remember when the the guy came to Jesus and said, what's the most important thing I can do? I've done this, I've done that, I've kept the law, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. What's the most important thing? And Jesus says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, your mind, with all your soul, with every fiber of your being, all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So it all comes back to the heart. It comes back to love. Jesus knew that there were people sitting out there listening to this sermon who were having heart problems. Not only having problems loving God, but they were certainly having problems, as all of us do, loving each other. Maybe Jesus could see some of this going on. Maybe at times when they were eating or times in between his teaching time, he noticed some social dynamics, some things that were going on out there with people, not unlike I might see here on a Sunday morning. Uh, when I might see you come in with a frown. And uh, I'll see the person sitting next to you has a frown and maybe arms crossed. That's amazing how many people just uncrossed their arms. <laughs> like Ray and Nancy. I could see that maybe there's something going on in that relationship. There's something that is affecting them. Uh, and we all come to church in different moods, don't we? It's her fault. <laughs> Uh, and maybe, maybe Jesus could see this kind of thing going on out there in the crowd. But he just knew about humans. He knew about relationships. And he is offering to them some help. And he puts all of this at the, uh, the center of his sermon in terms of their relationship with God. And what takes place or what doesn't take place in their relationship with God will affect their relationships with other people. And so in this particular text that we have just heard this morning in Matthew 5, and if you have a Bible or if you'll look at the Bible that's there on the pew rack in front of you, you can look more specifically at these, and also we have them here on the screen. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. So we know that, right? From Exodus, we know from the Ten Commandments, Uh, that you shall not murder. And whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. That within their society, they had laws and they had a way of doing things. And so if you murdered someone, then you were going to be uh, before a judge, you were going to be judged, and there would be a judgment that would come as a result of that. But I say to you, and, and by the way, if you'll notice throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will put up something that he knows as something that they know, right? The word of God or a particular commandment. And then he will put some commentary with it. But I say to you. So Jesus is teaching with authority. And this is something where they start to take notice that, wow, he is not like all of these other teachers who have come in and they provide other people's commentary. But Jesus says, this is what I say. I say to you this, that if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, or 
uh, maybe, bless you, maybe a, another way of, a better way of expressing that is idiot, right? You idiot, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, how many of you on the way to church this morning said that to the car in front of you or to someone who was dragging along? You fool, you idiot. We, uh, we are all in trouble, right? Well, there's a little more to this as Jesus is describing the kinds of of insults and things that that people in their society were using. And Jesus knew that everybody had a problem with this. Everybody who was human had a problem with anger. Or at least everyone has anger, right? Even Jesus expressed that emotion of anger. And we will look at that uh, in, I think, another month or two when we get to that passage of Jesus going into the temple and he kicks over tables he gets a whip that he made. He spent some time making this whip. This was all a display. And he went in into the temple and started turning over tables and getting really angry. And he controlled his anger in a certain way. And uh, that's what Jesus is getting at here is that if you are angry with a brother or sister, and if you are going at uh, your brother or sister or your neighbor or someone around you with uh, actions of anger, then just realize that the end result of that is going to be uh, akin to murder. Just as we also heard, and we don't have time to look at today, but if you lust after another person, uh, if you look at someone who is married and you have uh, lust and it's, it's not just, uh, wow, that person looks really hot today, but you begin to go deeper in your thoughts, uh, then Jesus says you have already committed adultery with that person. It's about the heart, right? Because Jesus knew that what's in your heart is going to turn into your actions. So if you are angry with someone and you don't control that anger, it is going to turn into hate. And if you hate someone, you are already uh, one step closer to murdering that person. You've probably already murdered that person in your heart. And so Jesus gets really serious about this. I uh, read about a guy who did a study. Uh, and this, is, uh, this comes out of uh, University of Texas. David Buss, a professor there, asked his students if they had ever thought seriously about killing someone. Don't you love it when these professors throw out, uh, teachers give you these uh, things to think about or write an essay maybe about, have you ever thought about killing someone? And if so, to write out their homicidal fantasies in an essay. Um, in, in this particular essay, he said he was astonished to find that 91% of the men and 84% of the women had detailed, vivid, <laughs> homicidal fantasies, right? I mean, some real creative writing here. He was even more astonished to learn how many steps some of his students had taken toward carrying them out. One woman invited an abusive ex-boyfriend to dinner with thoughts of stabbing him in the chest. A young man in a fit of road rage pulled a baseball bat out of his trunk and would have pummeled his opponent if he hadn't run away. Another young man fantasized and planned the progression of his murder. 
crashing a former friend's fingers, puncturing his lungs, and then killing him. Brutal, right? Terrible things that people fantasize about anger and out of their anger. But haven't you done something similar? Haven't you thought some pretty bad things about people who have hurt you? Maybe not quite to that extent, but I I think if we have opportunity to let our anger boil, then we get to that point, don't we? Jesus knew that this was a problem. And he knew that there were all kinds of things that these people sitting out in front of him were dealing with. Uh, These were the oppressed of his society. These were the poorest of the poor, the hungriest of the hungry. These were people very much in need of expressing their anger. And every time they set out to find anything good in life, either the Roman government would come and take it away from them, or a religious leader would tell them that they shouldn't be doing it, or that they had to give it up, or they weren't good enough for God. And then he also knew just in the context of their families that there was strife going on between brother and sister or father and child or mother and child and all of these things that were going on that were causing problems. Anger. And so Jesus picks this as a part of his sermon for that day. That it was something that they needed to deal with. I also read a story this past week about uh, a woman. This comes from uh, a book by Michael uh, Paternati, and uh, the book is called The Telling Room. And in this book, he describes a, a story, a true story, about uh, visiting his father's ancestral village in Sicily. And by the way, Sicilians don't get angry, do they? I think we have some Sicilians here today. Uh, they don't get angry, do they, Troy? Uh, I've heard. You've heard, okay. <laughs> And if they do, you don't want to get in their way. But uh, he was going back and, and uh, just visiting his, uh, his father's city. And as he was there, he saw a very old woman. And he describes this woman walking with her cane and struggling up a steep road to get to the local cemetery. And it was said that at her tortoise pace, uh, the walk from her home to the cemetery and then back took about six hours out of her day. So he wonders, what grief inspired her daily walk? Was she driven by sorrow over a departed child or a deceased husband? Maybe it was the the love of her life. No. The locals told uh, Paternati that she was driven by ostio or bitter hatred. Her arch enemy was buried in that cemetery So rain or shine, the old woman walked up the hill every day to her enemy's graveside just to spit on it one more time. Six hours a day to get there and back just to spit on it one more time. Now, you may not be quite that dramatic in your anger and showing your anger Uh, or hatred for someone else. But chances are, if you are like me, you have issues that come up from time to time with your anger. And maybe today your anger is the result of what someone has done to you. Someone has hurt you. 
Someone has said something to you that you just can't forget. And probably the person who said it just moved right on about their business, right? And doesn't care about what has happened as a result of saying that. You know, these are words, these things that we hear about us stay with us. They have a way of staying with us for the rest of our lives. And what's the saying uh, about sticks or stones? Uh, It's the words that hurt, right? It's those words that describe for us a version of ourselves that, that we don't want. And other people begin to attribute them to us. It becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Somebody says you're ugly or uh, you're poor or you are a terrible person. And these things have a way of sticking to us. Maybe it was someone who hurt you in a way and in some of our stories that we've heard in our storytelling events, uh, I can recall at least two stories of terrible abuse from someone within the family. Maybe it was a father who abused a child, whether it's physically or sexually or uh, just mentally. I think in one of the other uh, stories that we heard, it was an uncle who began abusing this child. And this child grew up as an adult trying to deal with and live with the memories of that abuse in her life. That's enough to cause anger. Enough to cause anger to to stay with you for the rest of your life and even maybe to cause you to do the same thing to someone else. Maybe it's the anger that you have at Donald Trump, right? If you don't like Donald Trump, you might be angry right now. The streets are filled with people who are angry, not just at Donald Trump, but at the things that he is trying to do. And so when you see that blonde onion loaf on the top of his head uh, in a newscast or in the newspaper, you just feel anger. Like it or not, whether you voted for him or not, there are plenty of people who are angry right now. And if it is an anger that is not controlled in the right way, we're going to have more and more problems in our nation, aren't we? Maybe it is anger at your child. Your child is not behaving the way you want her or him to behave. Maybe it is a child who is angry with a parent that you think your parent did not do the right things for you growing up. If only she had loved you more. If only he had encouraged you and given you what you needed to get through life. Your life would be better. And maybe you're right. But why are you still angry about it? Maybe the anger uh, comes from being in a relationship. Maybe it's a spouse. And you have fought and fought. And every time... You really get a chance to even talk to each other. It's just arguing with one another. That's not uncommon. It's not unnatural. It is something that happens in relationships. If you are in a real relationship, you're going to have conflict, aren't you? But when that conflict turns to unhealthy anger, then problems and divisions can take place. I think I'm losing people. 
anger. It causes us to do all kinds of things. I heard somebody telling about a couple that had been married a long time. And this particular man had gotten a job and was really excited about it. And on his first day of work, his, his, he asked his wife to get him up and to make sure that he was awake and plenty of time to get to work. And she didn't. She forgot to do it. And so he gets angry at her, and he goes, and they get in this big fight, and he gets a gun and shoots her in the arm. This is apparently a true story. I don't tell anything but true stories. And uh, so then she, in her rage, is able to go, and she gets a shotgun out of the closet, and she shoots him, tries to shoot him in the arm, but I think does a whole lot more damage. So they end up going to the hospital, and uh, the nurse that was in there, who later uh, became a pastor, uh, that's probably a good reason, uh, said that he remembers them being in the same room in there as they're doing triage and all of this. And he uh, looks over at her and he says, Baby, I'm so sorry that I shot you. I'm so sorry I was mad. And she says, Honey, I am so sorry I shot you back. <laughs> Just another day in paradise, right? Anger, it leads us to do all kinds of things. But what Jesus tells us to do with our anger is that we are to approach it in a whole different way. We are to understand the problems that it causes. And Jesus says, if you have a problem with someone else, you are to go to that person and to say, look, I know there's something wrong here. And let's talk about it. Let's not be angry at each other anymore to try to reconcile that. And Jesus says, if your uh, neighbor is taking you to court or getting ready to, be sure that you go to that neighbor and, and do everything you can to reconcile that relationship, to bring peace. Remember a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Don't wait on that other person. Go to that person and say, look, I'm angry at you, and here is why. You've really ticked me off this week, or actually use more colorful language than that, (laughs) and express your anger to that person, but do it in a way that fits with how Jesus is giving these practical examples of being able to work toward the end of love, to be able to bring people together, not separate them, to realize that God wants us, and this kingdom of God that Jesus came proclaiming is a kingdom where people are loving one another. And as we look at our world and our society, we see great trouble with that. And by the way, if you are expressing your anger to them, it it doesn't matter if they agree with you or not. But that's your step. That's what God wants you to do. And if you can't ever bring that person back, if if you can't restore that relationship It's really not up to you. You've done your part. And you can allow God to do God's part in the midst of that relationship. And there are some things people do to you that you may never really be able to forget. God doesn't say, forget it. He just says, forgive them. Forgive them because it's going to help you. It's going to help you live longer in this world if you're able to release that anger and get all of that unhealthy bitterness and rage out of you and let God deal with it, that God is able to avenge all of the things that people do to us. He doesn't want us doing it. 
He knows that is not best for us. So be sure that you are doing everything you can. And maybe it's getting somebody else in the church to sit down with you and that person. Maybe it's writing them a letter or an email or getting them on the phone or talking to them over lunch just to be able to get rid of the anger that is within you. Jesus says it's all about the heart. Get your heart right. And that's why he says don't go to the altar and give your offering to God if you have not dealt with this unfinished conflict in your life. Why does he say that? Well, if you can't understand God's forgiveness, if you're going to the altar and pretending like you're in a great relationship with God and you're not, um, I mean, if you don't understand the love and forgiveness of God, then you, uh, you certainly can't demonstrate that to someone else. So go to that other person and work out that problem and then come to the altar. Show that you understand what it means to forgive because that is how God has forgiven you. These are powerful words, and they are words that Jesus intended for us to live in our lives and our practical daily relationships. Uh, This uh, past couple of weeks, I've heard a lot on the news about what are the Democrats going to do? They don't seem to have any kind of agenda or any kind of a plan, and uh, some of the, the protests that we're seeing in big cities as well as in small Uh, One of the things that we can see is this tremendous organization that is going on, that uh, it's been compared with what took place with the Tea Party movement, but is uh, showing to be even larger than the Tea Party movement. But what is happening is that uh, some are taking from the playbook, right? You've probably heard that in the news. They're taking from the playbook that the Tea Party used to organize themselves on a grassroots level to go to these town hall meetings and hold people accountable for, uh, to hold their representatives accountable and to say, we want something different or we want to find out why is it that you voted the way that you did and are you going to vote in the way that represents us, not yourself? And what we're seeing is this playbook that they're picking up to say, we're going to do things differently. As we hear these words of Jesus we have the opportunity to go by the book. To go with the book that God has given to us, to go with the words that Jesus has given, to bring great change and even a revolution to this world. A movement of love. But we need the help of Jesus in doing that. And Jesus gives us these words to ponder. Let us go to God in prayer.